Unlocking Consciousness. Exploring the mind through the prism of science, technology, meditation, and psychedelics. Welcome to Hacking Consciousness. I'm your host, Adrian Baker. This will be the first part in a series I'm going to call Thinking Out Loud, in which there's no guest, it's not an interview, I'm just sharing my personal views on a particular topic. And it could be a reflection on a conversation I've had with a guest or about something I'm reading or just other musings. But this one, for the first Thinking Out Loud, will really be sharing about my own background and my intentions for starting this podcast because it'll give you a really clear sense of why I'm doing what I'm doing and the kinds of conversations we're going to be having on Hacking Consciousness. Certainly not all of them relating to religion. I definitely want to delve deeply into science and technology and topics like artificial intelligence, but my interest in contemplative practices from which uh, which derive from religions is a big part of my motivation and interest in exploring consciousness. I have an ongoing fascination with religion. You might call it a love-hate relationship. I was raised Christian, Episcopalian to be precise, Catholic light as some like to call it. As far as religious upbringings go, it was very mild. The church that I attended was filled with college-educated people, virtually none of whom I suspect would agree with the statement, the Bible is literally true. My dad had some personal faith, but didn't wear it on his sleeve or shove it down my throat, my mom even less so. That said, the faith in which I was raised, with all due respect uh, for to those for whom it resonates, uh, it never was for me. My parents said to me, once you're confirmed, it's your decision if you want to attend. After my conversation, my confirmation, I rarely went back, save for the family pressure to do so on holidays like Christmas. There were probably multiple reasons for this, but I think fundamentally faith-based religions just aren't for me. Basing conclusions on evidence is a cornerstone of my worldview, and I wasn't okay with siphoning off one section of my mind and saying every other idea is open to critical discussion except not the ideas in this box over here. I'm sure those who, there are many in those faiths who would uh, reject that characterization, which I respect. This was just my particular take when I was in high school and to some extent still is. Though experimentations with psychedelics undoubtedly laid a foundation for interests in spiritual matters much later in life, I didn't become interested in a more contemplative life until I was almost 30. Since then, for the last seven years, I've read a lot of books on religion, mostly Eastern religions, but also some on Islam and Christianity. By far, Buddhism has been my main area of interest. Buddhism doesn't have any sort of faith-based belief system. It's highly pragmatic and focused on addressing what it identifies as the sources of unhappiness in one's life. It has an empirical, rational approach that aims to cultivate an inner sense of contentment 
and well-being. The more that I have practiced meditation techniques derived from this tradition, the more I found this to be true. Along with my interest in Buddhist religion, I've also spent a fair amount of time reading the work of the so-called New Atheists. These would be people like Christopher Hitchens, Richard Dawkins, and in particular, I've read a lot of the work of Sam Harris. Sam is someone whom I greatly respect and admire, even when I disagree with him. He certainly provided a highly articulate voice to some of the problems that I had long felt towards organized religion, and he also brought to my attention many other salient points in this debate as well. Identifying myself as some sort of Buddhist atheist came to be a part of my identity. This cohered smoothly with what I undoubtedly saw as other important parts of my worldview and identity, such as a commitment to science and reason. Gradually over time, these views began to harden into a more firm worldview and part of my identity, really. Over the past year, this worldview has begun to crack open. For one, I started to appreciate the value of myth and metaphor imparted to me by some of my meditation and yoga teachers, and I thank them for that gift. Studying a religious tradition, a tantric form of Hinduism, sometimes called Kashmir Shaivism or Nandul Shaiva Tantra, has also helped me to understand the richness of symbolism and the value of conveying intellectually solid ideas in beautiful art form and poetry. Reading the work of Joseph Campbell, the famed comparative mythologist, was another key turning point in this evolution for me. Campbell made a career of pointing out that every culture since the beginning of time has had myths and that many of these myths reflect deep and in universal yearnings embedded in the human psyche. A society that has lost its capacity to participate in myths such as ours has lost something fundamental, according to Campbell. This quote from him accurately assesses the current state of humanity with respect to religion as I see it. Quote, half the people in the world think that the metaphors of the religious traditions are, for example, facts. And the other half contends that they are not facts at all. As a result, we have people who consider themselves believers because they accept metaphors as facts. And we have others who classify themselves as atheists because they think religious metaphors are lies. That's from his book, Thou Art That, Transforming Religious Metaphor. This has really reconnected me to an important teaching of not only Buddhism, but of many religious traditions and I think sound philosophy generally, irrespective of one's religious beliefs, which is there is a certain wisdom in holding one's views lightly. In other words, having humility. Ultimately, each of our own thoughts are just tales that our mind spins. This is what meditation and contemplative practices really have the power to teach us. This is what the mind does. It creates stories about the way the world does or does not work. It produces narratives all day long. and. 
Maybe these stories are true. Maybe they're not. Maybe the answer lies somewhere in between. But I've come to find more comfort resting in the space of not knowing or not being so certain that I know what I think I know. In May, I attended an ayahuasca retreat in Peru. We had eight ceremonies over two weeks. My experience with ayahuasca deeply challenged many of my strongly held views about the world, including lingering feelings that I had about atheism. And generally just pertaining to views as well about the way that the world works. I want to also pause and add a note of caution. I'm also definitely not saying that I know that there is some sort of higher power because of drinking a brew made of psychoactive plants. I'm cautious about how I interpret these experiences. I certainly have intuitions and I can acknowledge that they are simply that, intuitions or interpretations about what I think happened or what I think I believe as a result of that experience, but I distinguish that between other forms of knowledge about which we can be more certain, arrived at through more objective scientific forms of evidence, such as the theory of evolution. But one of the great lessons of psychedelics, according to ethnobotanist and famed psychonaut Dennis McKenna, is that psychedelics really teach you that you don't know shit. You think you know shit about the world, but psychedelics really are great for reminding us that there is so much in this universe beyond what the human mind knows and to therefore have a real sense of humility about our own views and a real sense of awe and wonder as well for even the simplest things in this world. If psychedelics can teach one humility, then they are aligned with the spirit of the best of what religious traditions have to offer, along with the best of what many other secular philosophies have to offer. So I have a deep sense of empathy for both those who want nothing to do whatsoever with organized religion and also with those who find great value in it. My own ongoing feelings, this love-hate relationship, continues to unfold every day with continuing studies and as I practice more and more. The problems with much of organized religion is on full display for those who have the eyes and the honesty to see, from radical jihadism to impeding scientific progress to impinging on the individual liberty of millions of human beings, particularly women and minority groups such as gays. In this sense, I agree with many of the criticisms of Sam Harris and some other new atheists. In later episodes, I'll elaborate more on the specific points of agreement and disagreement, but having acknowledged some big picture points of agreement, let me say where I part company with the new atheist crowd. I think the real problem is not religion per se, but ideological rigidity. Literalism of any belief system is the problem. It's not just a wholesale commitment to religious texts that creates problems. It's also true of other ideologies, political ideologies. Certainly nationalism is one of the most insidious forms of tribalism that continues to divide us and create conflict and violence and suffering. 
economic rigidity, um, or I should say rigidity to economic ideologies such as capitalism or communism. Undoubtedly, there were many good attentions among many communists, but we can see what the experiments of Lenin and Stalin and Mao led to, which is large-scale human suffering and complete repression of freedom that is totally antithetical to the actual intentions and aspirations of Marx for anyone who actually took the time to read him. Similarly, fundamental capitalism has created many problems by imposing a very strict, you know, neo-capitalist world order on economies through the World Bank and the IMF and saying that they had to meet certain conditions. And when they did not, it created total havoc and immense suffering on many people living in developing economies. So the problem isn't the ideas themselves. It is this wholesale commitment, this all or none sort of devotion to ideas instead of our ability to critically evaluate ideas and say, okay, there's some value here and this is what we're keeping and this is not so good and we're going to dispense with this. And perhaps we're going to be a little flexible and find a compromise and perhaps we're going to adapt how these ideas are applied or interpreted depending on the particular cultural and historical context. Now, admittedly and crucially, the set of ideas to which a person is committed to subscribing and perhaps imposing on others is highly relevant. So, for example, there are completely rational reasons that someone might choose to live under a Taoist or Buddhist theocracy than, say, a Christian or an Islamic one. You just simply will not encounter passages in the Tao Te Ching or the Heart Sutra about death for homosexuals or death for apostates, uh, those who want to leave the faith, or slavery or other forms of treatment towards infidels or any number of other passages that are just a quick Google search away if you care to look. As someone who has the good fortune to travel, this is something that was very obvious to me upon moving from a country that's predominantly Christian to a Buddhist country. Well, there are many reasons that might influence cultural attitudes towards a group, such as women or homosexuals or transgender people. It clearly makes a huge difference if this particular book, which most of the population thinks is special and beyond repute, says terrible things about this group of people or should or that they should be put to death or that it creates a particular set of guidelines that assigns them into some sort of second-class status. In order to have constructive conversations, we have to be able to criticize ideas without personally attacking people who hold these ideas. This is fundamental. I see this continually derail conversations on any number of topics, not only religion. This really should be a podcast unto itself, so... I won't go too deep, but I'm going to give a particularly salient example that I see is quite pervasive. Criticizing particular aspects of a belief system 
such as Christianity or Islam, should not be confused with a personal attack on the person who holds these beliefs. I see people do this quite deliberately in order to silence the opposition. Essentially, people will respond to name-calling, which is really just a way not to engage with someone else's ideas and to stifle critical discussion of certain ideas. Curiously, this seems to be applied more so with some groups than others, depending on the topic. So, you know, for example, the Book of Mormon in certain sets of circles, I can certainly tell you among anyone that I would know, and I'm, you could predict many demographic things based on this statement. You could predict my voting patterns probably, but, you know, it is completely acceptable to say, hey, I saw the Book of Mormon, I saw the Book of Mormon tonight. And the likely responses to that would be, isn't it just the funniest thing you've ever seen? Or, yes, I've been dying to see that myself. And no one says, why would you see that? You must be racist towards Mormons. Yet, this is precisely the response that many people seem to apply verse when we talk about Islam. Just have to acknowledge that there's an unspoken cultural taboo in terms of talking about religion. Even in the most educated of circles, there's an unspoken agreement that virtually all ideas are open to critical thinking except for a few sets of ideas which are entitled to immunity from reason and scrutiny. This is a problem. It's a problem we can see from the ongoing issue of jihadism to the impediments on scientific research to personal impingements on basic human rights, such as the rights of gays to marry and the rights of women to make reproductive choices about their own bodies. The common example I encounter from people on a similar side of the political spectrum is calling someone a racist for criticizing Islam. You know, I just alluded to this. This really is just a fundamental point of confusion. Race is a biologically determined fact of existence. Islam is a set of ideas, beliefs, traditions, and practices. No matter how much I might want to leave my race or convert to another race, it's simply not possible. That's just a set predetermined biological fact. But I had the freedom to leave the religion of my upbringing, and in fact, I did so because where I grew up, the cultural taboos for doing so were not too high, which is literally a life and death situation for many people in this world. So I was free to leave a religion, and if I wanted to, I could choose to convert to another religion, whether it be Buddhism or Islam or Taoism or anything else, if I want to. That is fundamentally different than race. The other obvious but important thing that has to be said about the difference between race and something like religion is that it's difficult to imagine something that has less inherent meaning 
than race, than the pigment of someone's skin in terms of the quality of their character or judgments that we should make about them. Race really is the most arbitrary measure that humans have probably ever picked to make judgments about someone. It only has value insofar as we've given it value. And of course, race does have value in real society. It does make a difference, but that's only because of the racist ideologies that fuel it. These were belief systems that sprang up in the first place to justify larger economic and social systems like slavery. And so actually racist ideologies do underscore the fact that beliefs matter, but we need to make the distinction between this biological determinant and values, beliefs. Consequently, we really have to agree that ideas matter. They're important. They're open to debate, and especially in a democracy. And when people get to a certain age, even though we have to realize we're all products of our environment, people have to be held accountable for their beliefs. So if you're going to have beliefs that are fundamentally hostile to society, such as the right to free speech or any other belief, even if that's you're going to stake out the position, whether it's that gays shouldn't have equal rights, that someone shouldn't have equal rights based on their skin or any other beliefs, people need to be held accountable for that. And the answer to that, by the way, is not less free speech. It's more free speech because those of us who should be confident that we have the right position, that these ideas are fundamentally aligned with human rights, should be confident that the power of our ideas and our arguments will outweigh those to the contrary. So this is why race or a belief system, in this case a religion, are two fundamentally different and incomparable categories. By conflating the two, we're silencing honest and open discussion. And we have to be able to separate, not only with religion, but any topic that we're talking about, we have to be able to separate a discussion of ideas from the people who hold those ideas. We have to be able, for example, to criticize military decisions like going to war without criticizing the people designed to implement that policy which are the troops. I can think that going into Iraq was one of the worst foreign policy mistakes this country has made in 100 years and have zero ill will towards any person who went into combat in Iraq. And in fact, I have friends and know people who went into combat and it makes zero difference. Why on earth would it make a difference? It wasn't their decision. They were simply doing their job. And in fact, we're demonstrating a great deal of honor and courage and really loyalty that I'll confess that I do not have because I could certainly never put my life on the line to implement something that I 
didn't believe in. And I have total respect to people who are able to, to see the greater good like that. And it's not just religion or war. We have to be able to criticize healthcare policy without criticizing doctors and nurses. We have to be able to criticize education policy without someone saying, I dare, how dare you? You're attacking teachers and educators. The health of a democratic society and really our collective fate of humanity quite literally depends on this. By contrast, values and ideas matter greatly. And being part of a collective means that we have to be able to discuss these ideas freely and openly like adults without reverting to name calling and deliberately obscuring a person's position in order to terrify anyone else with a different viewpoint from speaking up and opposing our own worldview. This gets directly at the important work that I want to do on this show. I'm saying this not because I want this to be a political podcast, but because the issues of direct interest to this show intersect inevitably with culture and politics and these other strands. I want to help excavate the positive aspects of religion and to share it with a larger audience, an audience that may well be skeptical or even hostile to religion. And that includes all religions, I might add. Not just some. I truly do enjoy studying all religions and see value in all religions and respect people's viewpoints and faiths and traditions wherever they're coming from. I'm well aware that in trying to find common ground between people of different viewpoints, I may well just piss off everyone and not cultivate a base. But you know what? I don't just want a base, a gang, a tribe of people who think just like me and agree with everything I say. I want to facilitate difficult but necessary dialogue around topics and also help people from opposing camps be able to empathize more with the arguments of the other side, even if they can't agree with them. One motivation for this is that I've come to employ certain practices which are undeniably religious in origin and nature, not only meditation, but mantra, chanting, even devotional practices that in my experience have clear value, even if one were not to subscribe to the irrefutably theistic origins of these practices. This is where I have to part company with the new atheist crowd and say that I don't think that the goal is to break the spell, to use Dan Dennett's phrase, of religion. It's really to break the spell of any form of dogma, to dispense with ideological rigidity, to recognize the value of metaphor and to celebrate the vital role that myths have to play in our society. It's also to honor the fact that for many people, the religion is so deeply embedded in their identity that you're not going to reason them out of it, no matter how eloquent your arguments. True, this does happen sometimes, and I think there's an important role for someone like Richard Dawkins or Sam Harris to play. I think they've played some very uh, positive roles in promoting a difficult discussion. Sam has said that he's received a number of emails of religious fundamentalists who say that his work has shaken them out of their fervor. And as an advocate of science and reason, I think this is a very positive development. But for many, many people, this is not the case. 
their identity is so wrapped up in their religion, they need to be able to interpret it figuratively, figuratively, not ditch it altogether. And an example of this was Fareed Zakaria's interview on Sam Harris's podcast recently. Fareed Zakaria, who is Muslim, but really it's more of a cultural than a belief thing for him, but clearly a highly educated person who's um, very much committed to science and reason. And it's an important part of his identity. And he said that exact point. You're not going to reason people out of this just by the eloquence of your arguments. And I completely think he's right. And I also don't want to do that not only for tactical reasons, but for pragmatic reasons. I really do see value in religions if people are able to think critically and say this part of our tradition is fantastic. And you know what? This part is probably just a product of the fact that it was created in a particular place in a particular time and it's no longer in sync with living in the value of a modern world, right? Which is has different attitudes towards women's rights and rights of gays and many other topics. So I hope this can be a conversation that not only highlights the value that many religious traditions have to offer, but also helps people to appreciate the value of myths and metaphors. I truly, I want to repeat this again because it's important. I truly enjoy studying different religious traditions. And I think that when we're having a critical discussion with people, it's important to convey not only that it's a discussion of ideas and it's not a personal attack, but that you also genuinely have respect for people's faith and their upbringings. And I do think that's something that was lost in a lot of the new atheist critique. Personally, I genuinely enjoy studying all religious traditions, and I find much beauty and value in each of them, even as I find aspects of it that I would like to criticize and would like a society to collectively not adhere to insofar as I see them undermining the rights of other individuals. But taking any set of ideas literally, thinking a text or a person is infallible, is beyond reproach, is truly a recipe for disaster. Once again, whether it's religion or a political ideology or any other ideology. My aspiration for this podcast is that it can help to break the spell for all of us, myself included, as I'm on this journey with you. But to do this, we have to be able to talk with each other. And our ability to do this constructively has been increasingly on display and only really breaking down in terms of effectiveness as the years pass. People blame social media, but ultimately these technologies are simply tools in the hands of those who use them. Don't look without if you want to change, look within. I want to connect with like-minded people, but I also hope to invite people into this conversation who might disagree, sometimes strongly. I'm aware that much of the audience for this podcast will likely be in major urban areas, probably on the coasts of the United States and in places like Austin, Texas and Denver, Boulder area and in other major urban areas worldwide, places like Sydney, Melbourne, Hong Kong, all the major capitals of Europe and London. And 
I want to develop relationships with others who share similar interests. But back to my original point, the goal is altered traits, not altered states. This is the point I made in my most recent blog post. How are you, and I should say, how are contemplative practices or psychedelics or therapy or your religion or whatever it is that really motivates and gives meaning to your life, how is that changing you? If psychedelics and meditation and yoga or about dropping your ego and this deep sense of interconnectedness, then doesn't that also include connecting with those who have different worldviews than you? I think these contemplative practices in psychedelics offer this potential for us to wake up collectively. And I say this statement less out of a sense of doe-eyed optimism than a sort of realistic appraisal of our species' prospects for survival. Climate change, terrorism, weapons of mass destruction, the prospect of superhuman, excuse me, super intelligent, artificial intelligence. If we're not able to wake up from our collective paralysis, from our present state of utter and complete inability to to collectively act and solve problems, then I fear for the project of human flourishing. Truth be told, part of me figures why bother with the controversy that such discussions about religion will inevitably elicit? Why waste my time with the inevitable vitriolic comments and trolls on Twitter? I could sidestep these discussions and just meditate and do yoga and drink kale smoothies and drop acid with my friends in San Francisco and New York and Boulder uh, and all the other people who won't possibly disagree with me. And I've been avoiding this conversation, frankly, for some time, but I think the present set of circumstances should wake us up to the need for dialogue with people outside of our own narrow circle. This isn't about politics. It's not about trying to change Washington, D.C. or any capital or government. It's just about trying to have an honest but difficult and necessary set of conversations. Perhaps we can change a few hearts and minds along the way. Maybe we won't. I'll try to continually remind myself to take a hard look in the mirror before I start telling others how they should live. As the Buddha said, be a light unto yourself. Every wisdom tradition from a variety of religious faiths or from many brilliant secular atheist thinkers have had something to offer in terms of showing the way to love and harmony and forgiveness and reconciliation. So take a look at whatever belief system really resonates with you and frame it in those terms. But if you're Christian, for example, can you actually love your enemies? as Jesus instructs. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you from the book of Matthew. If you're Muslim, can you heed these words of Muhammad? You will never enter paradise until you have faith and you will not complete your faith until you love one another. If you're an atheist, can you find any value in Gandhi's words that compassion is a muscle that gets stronger with use 
and that the weak can never forgive. Forgiveness is the attribute of the strong. Famed psychonaut Terence McKenna once said, nature loves courage. I wonder, do we have the courage to listen to nature and to each other? Do we have the courage to admit our mistakes? Do we have the courage to change? Do we have the imagination and the vision and the audacity to transcend the tribalistic ways of thinking that are dividing us so sharply in our present moment? Ask the plants of the earth and they will teach you. Job 12.8 Your continued support makes future episodes possible. You can help by heading over to patreon.com slash hackingconsciousness. Thank you for listening to me thinking out loud. I welcome your questions and your comments. In fact, I'd very much love to hear from you, whether it resonated with you, whether you disagree, or ideally both, what you liked and, you know, where you sort of see things differently and have a different take, what you'd love to hear me talk more about on the show, any suggestions for guests. So don't hesitate to reach out. Please do. At um, You can email me at hackingconscious with no G. So it's H-A-C-K-I-N-C-O-N-S-C-I-O-U-S, hackingconsciousnog at gmail.com. And it's that same handle for social media. So um, it's at Hacking Conscious at, for Twitter handle. And then also for Instagram. I'm just getting Instagram up and running. I'm really more active on Twitter. And there's also a Facebook page. You can do that same handle for the back page. Or you can simply type in Hacking Consciousness. And you'll find the page for the podcast on Facebook. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope to hear from you. Hacking Consciousness, exploring the mind through the prism of science, technology, meditation, and psychedelics.